PCA Conversations with Black Voices. Welcome to Between the Pew. Between the Pew is brought to you by African American Ministries. AAM exists to provide ways to support African Americans within the Presbyterian Church in America. What's good, fam, and welcome to another episode of Between the Pew. I'm Janelle Chavis, and I am co-hosting today with Kelly Brown. What's good, sis? How you doing? What up? What up? You hanging in there tonight? Girl, these people got me on the ropes, but I'm trying. You know, I have to let the people know, y'all. So Kelly was late to our um, our recording session here tonight, and let me tell y'all why. She is cooking some. Kelly, tell me we can, you can, you're baking some sweet potatoes. Yeah, we got girl. some fried chicken wings and mm-hmm. some uh, cabbage and carrots, right? It's just some good old buttered steamed cabbage. I like to throw some carrots in there for a little color, mm-hmm. a little diversity. Mm-hmm. Oh, about yeah. that. Yeah, I well, don't know why I'm doing this on Monday evening. Nah, that's that's what's up. Meanwhile, what did I even eat tonight? Uh-oh. I'll probably have like some animal crackers or something. You Come know? on, y'all. You know, <laughs> it's 8.20, you ain't had no dinner uh life is weird i i have i have three children already and then i babysat a friend of mine's child because she had to go somewhere so i had four children all day today oh Oh. so note to self don't get pregnant again but a real good friend anyways i digress today guys today (laughs) we have Ian Costin joining us. Ian lives in New York. (laughs) Ian is the justice. Let me get this right. Ian is the justice and neighborhood manager at Redeemer Eastside, which is a PCA church on the Upper East Side of Manhattan in the NYC. Ian is also a student at Reformed Theological Seminary. And so I actually met Ian at GA, at General Assembly. Mm-hmm. But I knew Ian prior to that meeting only because, you know, so since I do the social media stuff for AAM, I often stalk Black PCAers in order to make <laughs> posts, you know, and, and Clean whatnot. I gently, lightly peruse the interwebs mm-hmm. to find these guys across the country to make posts and whatnot. So it's not stalking anybody. <laughs> not, I'm not stalking, not in like a weird way. You know what I mean? Just, just a light, a light That's research. Re- there we go. So I had actually been, you know, reconnaissancing. <laughs> oh, she made a new word. <laughs> before we actually before i actually um happened to meet him at ga so when he introduced himself i was trying to decide if i should like let him know that i already kind of knew who he was (laughs) which i did i did let him know that i kind of knew who he was but anyways ian is also married to sophia and they have a baby on the way y'all so yeah congrats ian and and welcome to between the few Big daddy. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, we're happy. Is this to- number one for y'all? Number one. Number one. Yeah, that first one, have you stressed out? Have you feeling like you don't know what you're doing? That second one, you'd be like, they all right. Just, <laughs> just, just turn them over. Just give them a, a bottle. You don't even pay attention the same way. So 
welcome to new <laughs> for you and all that excitement. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. There's a lot of fun things on the way for you. So Ian, before we hop into the interview interview, mm. your job title is justice and neighborhood manager. Now, mm. what does one do as yeah. the justice and neighborhood manager? You never heard that one before. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad you asked. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, did you, did you see what I just said? Okay, listeners, y'all can't, we do this over Zoom. We're looking at each other, but y'all don't know that. But Ian <laughs> is wearing an AAM yes. t-shirt that we gave away oh, at General Assembly. Really I didn't notice. And Kelly and I saw it the time. We did. We saw it the same <laughs> time. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come on, you didn't plan that? Oh, this whole thing? Oh, stop it. I know, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> we didn't even three weeks old yet. Oh, well, thank you. Three times. Ah, really? nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. That was very cool to see it, see it on you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for the support. Thanks for wearing that. Um, so, yes, neighborhood. Wait, what else? Justice and neighborhood manager. Yeah. um, Well, I think it's relatively new for our church. Um, A lot of times you'll see uh, sometimes positions that'll look something like a mercy and justice or justice and mercy. Those terms will be combined a lot. Okay. But I think when I went to Redeemer East side, we wanted to, I think in ministry, it's easy to keep things theoretical Mm -hmm. and not concrete. And I think by there being a justice and neighborhood manager, both uh, necessitates that our church is committed to justice. And we believe that that's what Jesus cares about. And that is kind of a necessary thing. when you talk about being a Christian and we're talking about the God that we worship. And that also, when you add in neighborhoods, that also shows our commitment to at least at bare minimum wrestling with what does it look like in action, not just having great ideas about it. Mm-hmm. And so it means that being a good neighbor means you have to be concerned about biblical justice mm-hmm. and you when I'm uh, interacting with my neighbor across the hallway, or when I'm thinking about what does my impact do in the place that I live, there has to be some sort of justice, you know, formulated in that, um, in that processing, at least we think mm-hmm. um, that you can't ignore the needs of justice and love of your neighbors and be a good neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, all of those different things are kind of tied into that. And so that means that uh, I'm in charge of what we call our neighborhood callings. And so that's us saying, hey, like God's already given you an opportunity to serve and love others. And if that's your neighborhood mm-hmm. where you already live, that's where I kind of come in to help think about what are the different ways that our church is able to help disciple someone in that. And so when I teach like a cohort about, you know, loving your neighborhood, we, mm-hmm. we kind of walk people through a process where you can um, uh, you people, we actually give out a grant to people, um, to people oh, wow. and say, Hey, like I live in this neighborhood, me and five other people live in this neighborhood. And we think that this service, this justice oriented project could really benefit the neighborhood. And we help people. We want to pour, you know, gasoline on that fire. That's already mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And the, the, those things, or, um, we had uh, Dr. Irwin Inns come in and teach a Westminster and justice class, you know, one off and Ooh. all of that links together. And so, yeah, so it, yeah. you know, we're still figuring it out. I've done, been at this less than two years still, but it's a really great opportunity to have that 
kind of that freedom to be able to dream, mm-hmm. be able to, you know, it's in my title. So <laughs> whenever yeah. I do something public on stage, I'm the justice and neighborhood manager and people ask questions. That's yeah, I bet they do. So for some people who may not realize <laughs> our denomination has kind of some historic superstars or, or very well-established mm. um, pastors and their churches that everybody knows and name drop redeemer in New York is one of those. Right. And so mm-hmm. a few years ago, it got kind of broken up and um, uh, Reverend Tim Keller stepped down and I think it was Abe Cho took over and there were kind of satellites all over the city Um but for those people who are listening who don't know who Tim Keller is or care mm-hmm. <laughs> or are darn aware of what happens or are kind of what Redeemer is and how Redeemer really Redeemer and Tim Keller have had a huge impact on um a lot of urban and city thinking about church planting. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your experience with Redeemer. Um and if you were, if you had an experience with it before um, Tim stepped down and, and they kind of went into sites and then just with New York being such a unique place, you know, the country of New York is people say, <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you, how does your ministry and your church and how do you interact with Redeemer and, you know, this uh, unique position that you're in, is it going to spread to these other satellite um, or sites or, or whatever y'all call them, or, or do you see that becoming kind of a model for future um, churches? Talk to us about that. Mm-hmm. My, I started at working at Redeemer in 2015. Oh, I was wow. 19 years old. I moved to the city for an internship because mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to college. And so I was, I wanted to avoid college so much. I moved from San Francisco to New York. Uh, moved all the way across the country and my youth pastor had talked about redeemer. You know, I was one of those kids who read meaning of marriage when I was, you know, Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, (laughs) Great book. Wrong time. Yeah. I was about Uh, to say 15. (laughs) So when I moved here, I didn't know anyone. And so I just knew this guy named Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York city. And so that's, that's how I got into uh, the PCA without even knowing, I didn't even know what denomination Redeemer was in. Mm. Yeah. Um, I just knew he did the really good. Um, uh, uh, what's that book that he has? Um, reason yeah. for God. Yes, the reason for God. Yeah, we had the ah, DVDs, yeah. we had the book, and it was. I was just blown away by this Tim Keller guy. Mm. And so when I went, it was kind of the only real option for me, mainly because it was a close thing I had to knowing anyone. But I moved mm-hmm. here. I never, never visited New York City yet before. Um, and so moved here in a February. And by that summer, I was strapped for cash. So I worked at the children's ministry desk. Mm-hmm. And so I did security for the kids, seeing all the families. And it was great. And so that was my first professional touch with Redeemer and the PCA world. And so as I've, you know, you know, I tried out business stuff. I went back to college, finished my bachelor's. I mm-hmm you know, wanted to go into news broadcast. So over, you know, the last seven plus years, God's kind of pushed me into uh, ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think through it is because I love the Bible. And the more I learned about the Bible, the more I saw just the inescapable theme of justice that I didn't realize was there 
you know, mm-hmm. I, no one mm-hmm. ever pointed it out to me. Um, and it, so it seems I'd feel sometimes like I was robbed of more years of knowing who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And so now being here, I, I, I just want to be like, guys, this is everywhere, you know, especially mm-hmm. in seminary going through a prophet's class. Right. You mm-hmm. can't read that and not see God's thirst for justice. And so yeah. when I think about what do other people see when they see neighborhood injustice manager, what do, do other people want to replicate it? I think it's slowly becoming uh, normalized. And I think 2020 really shook people in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I think on this side, you kind of see, especially as Kelly was talking about different, the different Redeemer churches, and then all the people kind of associated with Redeemer and other PCA churches. And yeah. now that we are intentionally broken up, I think, you know, Tim was really wise for people who don't know. He said, Hey, like the center of this church is supposed to be Jesus and not me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he could have, he could have kept going, like he could have kept going and written more books and grew redeemer. But he said, look, the way the church, the big C church is going to grow is by me stepping down and us being able to focus on our local neighborhoods where different churches are at. Mm-hmm. And so that means that just ne- by necessity, there's going to be less connection, less overlap, you know, a lot of different stuff. So I would say I have talked to other pastors and ministry people at other redeemers, not all of them, and they really liked this job. They really want to kind of push things through, but it's just really hard to um, change a system mm. and a culture right. and people who, um, you know, one time I know of an instance where uh, I'm not going to say which redeemer, but one of the redeemer churches was doing like a prayer and fasting time around the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. And I, and someone brought up, you know, uh, like, why are we doing something that's so political? And that was hard because I know that that was just, hey, the world's really rough right now. Mm-hmm. Let's just pray. Let's just give it to our God in prayer mm-hmm. and fasting. Mm-hmm. And that was seen as a political thing. You know, we've never done this before, which mm-hmm. I know is not true, but there's so much divisiveness. And I think, honestly, in my opinion, of lack of discipleship mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. biblical literacy that there's that there's kind of that reaction mm. and there's a difference between someone being uncomfortable and something being unfamiliar right. and there being that kind of, you know, almost a disappointed reaction. Right. And, yeah. Uh, I can't believe our church is doing this. So that's kind of without mm. getting into too many juicy details. Mm. Uh, Don't do that. It's uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a struggle because I'm doing a lot of stuff that I love and I think other people want to be doing similar things, mm-hmm. but Sure. I think uh, Dr. Abe Cho, who was our senior pastor um, that left last year, he did a ton of work, you know, at all levels of our church to work on this. And uh, so many other people, um, Mm -hmm. Reverend Hector Sanchez, I report to him uh, Mm -hmm. for this position for the justice and for the cross-cultural gospel community life in our church. I report to him for that sort of stuff. So He's doing a ton of work. So there's a lot of work being done that mm-hmm. when you don't have it hitting at all those different levels, it's really hard uh, mm-hmm. to have a sort of cultural change. Look, Ian, let's bag it up a little bit and hear about, you, you mentioned California, so I think that might be where you're from, but tell us a little bit about 
you and where you grew up and um, your family structure, some of the things that shaped you in your formative years? Mm. Uh, Things that have shaped me. Let's see. I'll keep it as brief as I can. When we, I'm the oldest of five. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I I say, wow, but I'm actually one of five, but still (laughs) that's a big family. Like I know. (laughs) Yeah, no, but well, I was also homeschooled my whole life. And so I was one of the smaller families, Um, you know, in California and yeah, in the San Francisco Bay area, there are a lot of people who homeschooled their kids and I had multiple, at least three friends growing up where they had to get those big white 11 passenger vans. But yeah, oldest of five, I got a brother right under me and then three sisters. Um, okay. Wow. And so, yeah. So that kind of shaped me as a, someone who, you know, Hey, like I want to be able to, you know, watch the movie or, you know, do the things we got to get the chores done. We got to mm. do those things. And so uh, I was probably aptly nicknamed bossy. Uh, <laughs> childhood. And I think that really formed me because, you know, my, my parents, you know, didn't really have the best marriage. And that was really, you know, my dad is African-American and my mom is white uh, from central Mm -hmm. California. And my dad's actually from New York where, you know, where I live now. So it's kind of poetic. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I think probably one of the biggest formative things for me in my ministry is I think, you know, especially in marriage and with a kid on the way, I'm being really confronted with my need for control, I think, Ooh. and need for uh, control and even just expectations. Um, when mm-hmm. I, you know, it's a frequent conversation in our marriage is like, hey, how do, how do we, um, you know, how do we get to a point where I'm being able to communicate, um, you know, my brokenness and how it affects, you know, my mood or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, forces us to have a lot of communication, which is really great. Um, but I think it's because growing up, there was not a lot of expectation. Things were very chaotic, lots of temper tantrums, lots of physical violence, lots of damage to, you know, the home, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that um, those, that, that being a constant thing really made me want to just make sure everything was peaceful. Mm-hmm. Make sure everything was okay. Make sure everything was safe. And so, oh, when I say okay. need for control, I think it's like, yeah, you know, I, I just don't want people to get hurt. Um, I don't want people to um, hurt themselves or do something that's that they don't know is going to harm themselves. But it is because you know I'm the older brother, so of course you know, right? Also, five always right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so, really balancing. Um, the hurt that I received as a child and kind of having to be the third parent Mm. in a lot of ways. Um, And, you know, when I moved to New York, I think it was an escape. Okay. A lot Mm -hmm. of that where Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I don't want to be around, you know, love my family, but I, I, you know, I want to be a kid. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I think now I'm, I think that's a big, you know, when you're getting spiritual attacks, I think Mm -hmm. that's one of those things that gnaws at is, you know, you didn't get to be a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. you didn't get to mess up like other people, like your siblings, like your peers, you didn't, you know, you had to be the good homeschooled older brother. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my dad played, um, he was usually the lead uh, music guy on the worship team. Wow. Okay. You know, it was like, Oh, you know, there goes 
Bob Costin's kids or whatever. And um, I think I took, you know, no one asked me to, of course, but I think I still felt a lot of the heat when, you know, if there is a temper tantrum at a restaurant or at mm. a gathering or whatever it was. So I think that's for me because, you know, now having a kid, you know, a son about to, you know, be in this world, I think it, you, I'm kind of confronted with my own sin before, before he's even here. And okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can get into way more of that, but that's, I mm-hmm. think, Formative yeah, childhood still relevant today. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned that your dad was he was like the worship leader at your church. Is that what you said? Yeah. So he was like He's... the lead guitarist, lead singer. Okay. Okay. So you grew up in a in the church. Yeah, I grew up in a few different churches. You know, I was at one place until you know from when I was born to when I was maybe ten. Another place from ten to maybe nine, 10 to 14. And mm-hmm. then I left that church because another church had a youth group. And that's where I met the youth pastor. Oh. Ben, Tim Keller. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. And then I went there, but you know, I was the only one that went there for my family. Cause mm-hmm. everyone else was kind of mm-hmm. in the church from, you know, that we went to growing up, but little by little, you know, people, they started coming. And so eventually they all ended up at, um, at that church. It was like, you know, it's very small Dutch reformed church in San Francisco. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what is that sure is Dutch reformed mostly where your tradition draws from? I guess there was, it's kind of like non-denominational. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah. culture was from, you know, Dutch immigrants. And so on a lot of the property nearby in the city. And so it was kind of like a, more or less generic, non-denominational church, mm-hmm. but it called itself Dutch Reform. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, how'd you get involved with Dutch? Like, what made your parents go to a Dutch Reform church? Uh, I think it was just me because that's where the youth group was. We just knew yeah. some mutual friends. And they mm. group. I was the oldest person at my church before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just said, hey, mom and dad, like, I need some peers Mm, mm-hmm. okay that's just where all the the youth group kids were at so what type of church was the first church the one you you grew up in for the first part of your young was, life? i think it was baptist and you know you, you see how <laughs> intentional i was of learning about all this stuff but uh i think it was baptist you know i had i think the only the only black pastor i've had mm-hmm. consciously that i remember was at that church right before and it was very small, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very hard to get property in San Francisco, but it's a big church, big building, mm-hmm. small church. And so eventually, you know, it got bought out. And um, so then it moved to like a local community center. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of was dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time the, the black, you know, uh, pastor and his family had left. And so I think, you know, it was definitely a white space that mm-hmm. I grew up in. and you know, n- never consciously thought of it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never thought, oh man, there's a, a lot of white people here. Yeah. <laughs> whom I love, whom I love, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so there, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So since, since that's out in the open now, tell me about the racial makeup of the Dutch reformed church. It's mostly white, I'm assuming, but what was, yeah. what else was in the, in the building? 
Oof, not a lot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to. You know. I mean, their family. He's there, so maybe there. There some... <laughs> were like maybe I would say consistently outside of my family, anywhere between two and five other um, black folks in the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mostly one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, as the years went on. Yep. So and now. The church was probably like hundred or less people, so it wasn't like a, a mega church, right? Um, mm-hmm. Type of thing. But um, looking back, very like you know, uh, in San Francisco, too, of all places, um, I think I'm more and more surprised about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. That's really shocking to hear. I always think California is like the seat of diversity, and you know not Dutch reform homeschoolers for sure. <laughs> That's not uh, where yeah. my brain goes. Well, in San Francisco is, I think, uh, much more of a white city than I think people give it credit for because they think, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they, they, the culture is very much affirming of so many things. Right, but right, it's right. still, at the end of the day, I think it's still a white space as yeah. a city. And so I think the church was more or less emblematic of maybe the culture of the city, even if it wasn't the demographics of the city. Mm-hmm. 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 That's a familiar thing. Yeah. So as a biracial person, how did you, mm. how did you navigate that in going from uh, a place that was uh, predominantly not just white, but Dutch reform, which has a particular culture all its own. Right. Mm-hmm. And then to, go across country to New York as a biracial man to a very different type of diversity, right? Like, like <laughs> I would almost say a real diversity, right? Mm-hmm. People from every, everywhere all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. How did you, did you have any struggles there? Did you, was that easy for you? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, that's, that I think is one of the biggest, um, biggest changes in my life was kind of realizing that I think a lot of self-hate that centered around my blackness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I mentioned with my parents' marriage at the end of the, not to get into too much of it, but at the end of the day, you know, I, you know, was really uh, hurt by my father and so Mm. many, um, and, you know, still am. Uh, But especially growing up, he was the, main example of blackness in my life, whether mm-hmm. I consciously knew it or not. Right. And, you know, grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly African-American and then slowly got gentrified. And then, you know, the homeschool spaces were mostly white. My, you know, church was mostly white. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, we only really saw my mom's family um, in central California, again, all white. So really I've grown up in white spaces and, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized what that was doing just from a psychological basis. Oh yeah. No one needs to tell you anything to know that I look different than my cousins. Mm -hmm. I look different than people in church. I even look different than, you know, the black folks, the one or two black folks that are in my church. I don't Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I grew up with people telling me, you know, uh, Ian, you're not, you're not really black. You know, you're not Mm -hmm. really you know, this other guy who's not even black, who's like Latino, he's way more black than you, or they have wow. more swag than you, all mm-hmm. that stuff. So mm-hmm. and I just kind of like, you know, I'm a 
young dude and you know i'm in high school a lot of other things that are going on with me that i don't know what's going on and yeah um to throw that on top of it all i think i just started to laugh it off you mm-hmm. know like i just started to say uh haha that's funny yeah and i think that it burned in me sure. making fun of myself mm. and then there that now i'm the funny black guy who can make fun of black people gotcha mm. I think that was just years and years and years of not realizing it's self-hatred, but, you know, I was the guy who thought, well, I'm black. I can say this, Mm -hmm. you know, I can get away with these jokes that are wrong, that shock people, whatever it was, because it was either that or face that deficiency that I felt all the time. Yeah. My God. And so I took that to New York and I think if, (laughs) I don't know why, God gave my friends the patience that they have because I still have friends that are, you know, groomsmen at my wedding, but mm-hmm. they knew me when I first moved to New York seven years ago. And I can admit, like, I was an awful person. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I was the kind of like tickle me Elmo when it came to offensive stuff just for the <laughs> sake of shock value. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, kids in college are like, who is this guy? (laughs) Like, what is he doing? And I think it took years of people loving me, uh, people gently kind of saying, you know, hey, that's uh, that's a little racist Mm. (laughs) stuff you're saying there. Um, And to work, I think the thing inside me was like, but I'm black and I think this is okay. So like, what what is racism really? Mm -hmm. Because growing up, racism to me was exclusively KKK, things that were racist, but I didn't realize what the depths of that sin actually meant. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it wasn't until someone pointed out to me, you know, when Jesus says, you look at a woman wrong, you commit adultery. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to go all the way to be able to actually be guilty of that sin and still be sinful. Mm-hmm. And until someone pointed out, it wasn't just a yes or no uh, situation. I was completely blind. So that whole arc kind of culminated a few years ago. And it's a big reason why I'm at Redeemer Eastside now is because I realized I was using my blackness to hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And I was using the fact that I'm black. I can do whatever I want as pride as you know shielding the pain i didn't want to get to mm-hmm. and you know i think there always will probably be something you know because you know um my lovely mom is white and my dad is black mm-hmm. and you know, my 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 lovely wife is you know white lady from minnesota and i don't want her to change <laughs> you know like i love that about her and i you know i i need that from her um but i i think there'll always be a little bit of a you know, kind of ever present code switching. Sometimes I think mm-hmm. I have to catch myself and, you know, be, be kind of analyzing it and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of mm-hmm. where I'm at right now is yeah. going from hate, you know, self-hate, lots of self-hatred to a little bit less self-hatred, but, but being more conscious of how that's affected me. And so when I went to uh, general assembly and I went to the black church seminar, mm-hmm. a little question mark. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Honestly, like that was one of the most uh, relieving times of my life because mm, wow, I 
Um, sorry. No, you're good, brother. Take your um, time, man. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Can I can I give a little backstory there? Mm-hmm. So at General Assembly, which is our national annual national meeting of all the pastors and leaders from across the denomination, um, the day before it starts, we do these seminars. And um, they're volunteer, you know, you can choose to go to one or not. And uh, this year, again, AAM presented a seminar and uh, the title was, like Ian just said, Black Church, question mark. Um, And then I forget, there was another little piece of it. I don't don't remember what it was, but anyhow, (laughs) we were talking about, yeah, that's good enough. We were talking about, you know, um, it's particularly in a denomination that hasn't really ever you don't really see black churches. Like, why would you do a black church now? Which is what, you know, um, we're looking to start doing and supporting in some ways, AAM specifically, and then even more pointedly, Howard and I in this church plant in Atlanta um, that we're about to do. And so it was well attended. I think we had 114 people show up and had some some great energy, had a little bit of crazy energy, just a tiny bit. <laughs> Uh, one, one somebody who, who I don't know, it's always your people. It'd be like that sometimes. Right? Like, really, dog? You you going to come in here on blast like that? <laughs> um, like, looking like us, but, you, you know, all, all kin folk, skin folk ain't kin folk, but anyhow, that's well, a whole other thing. <laughs> okay, we digress, yeah. <laughs> but it was just discouraging to see this one guy. Anyway, um, and so we did, we just talked about kind of the history of this denomination's um, effort to plant black churches because there was a little bit of effort about 20 some odd years ago and what happened to that and how can we revisit that and why a black church at all which some people even after that were like why well we're teaching unity at our church why do you need to why why, why should y'all separate and I'm like mm, okay let's talk let's talk let's talk <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's what Ian was in there with um with with we was one of the 114 folks in that room mm-hmm. um and you and you i'm glad you mentioned it too because you sent me an email and you talked about uh, or or charles or something somebody you sent an email uh talking about how that space was so um life-giving to you and so um you, i think the word you used i think you used it again was relief or release or something like that mm-hmm. that just um communicated more than just hey thanks for doing that that was great like it did something to your soul mm-hmm. and even now and hearing you talk about it and, and needing to see you you know you need to take a minute um if you can share with us a little bit about why that means so much to you mm. i think <clears throat> It means so much because I've always felt I have to choose, you know, a certain side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I feel like I always have to choose between the, uh, you know, homeschool, you know, Dutch Reformed Church mode of, um even just, I don't know, even if the language that I use might sound the same, 
just my posture just feels different going okay. from place to place. Sure. And, you know, in, in New York, a lot of um, black and brown spaces don't tend to be uh, Christian spaces. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, you know, a few great churches, especially in Harlem that are doing awesome work in Brooklyn, awesome work. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, you know, they just never matched up for me. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and I think, you know, especially being an African-American in the PCA, mm-hmm. um, I don't even think in my presbytery in New York City, I don't, to my knowledge, there are no African-Americans what? In, in the New York Metro Presbytery. That's mm. Okay. And so, and, you know, in a couple of years, hopefully that'll change. We'll have one, you know, mm-hmm. um, Ian. and I know there's been people who have cycled in and out and, you know, yeah. I'm always yeah. open to be corrected, but the fact that I'm the only one who go, you know, I still yeah, try to yeah. go to Presbyterian when I can, yeah. but it's still, it's still rough. So I think, you know, I have friends who maybe agree with me on the justice, you know, biblical justice side of things, but they don't think, oh man, like, why are you in the PCA? Like, yeah. Why, why are you here? Why are you yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, giving these fools any, any, any of your time? Yeah. Um, like go to, go to another domination or leave New York or whatever it is. And I just never felt like that was, um, I mean, I'm not saying that people have to stay in the PCA by any means or come mm-hmm. in. You know, that's not a rule. Mm-hmm. I always felt like ah, it just seems too simplistic. It seems too, you know, when I think read through like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, you know, life mm-hmm. together, like mm-hmm. he goes in on, you know, wait, you're enjoying church. You're mm-hmm. doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, everything's good with your community. Oh, that's uh uh, that that's that's uh that's not the the kind of difference that we're looking right. for. So, yeah, comfortable, right? So like, huh, it just it just didn't seem you know the the reasons didn't seem right. And so I think when I went to uh, the Black Church seminar, I think I was around people that I feel like ugh, like at least for the most part they are people who get it mm-hmm. and understand at least where I'm at mm-hmm. and who. Like, yeah, they get the PCA stuff. They get the stuff that's difficult, but they are also here and being faithful. Right. Yeah. And we're wrestling with it together. Like, yeah. I don't, I never have the the, the <clears throat> inclination like, oh, these people have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. That's not why. Mm-hmm. Like being black in, well, in America, but especially in the PCA is not about having the answers and looking toward some sort of um, perfection but that this is doing this and being faithful. This is the best way for us to really know Jesus. And that's the thing that matters at the end of the day. Um, And so, yeah. So I think that's why I, there's probably some other psychological reasons, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but that I think to me is like, like, I don't have to, I don't have to put on a show anymore. Amen. Mm. That's right, man. So it meant a lot to me for y'all to put that together. So thank you. Well, we didn't even know. Like we were, in, I just, you never know what God is doing, right? You never, mm-hmm. you know, we make our plans and the Bible says uh, men make plans and the Lord laughs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we, you know, to hear you say what that meant to you was a surprising blessing because we were really just trying to do a seminar. We were, we were legit like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
<laughs> like we got to keep AAM out there. And um, Howard and Charles kind of came up with the with the title of it. And, you know, we worked it all out and just thinking we were going to sort of announce some things and kind of, you know, tell the story. But, you know, and to hear you say how it gives you a place where you don't have to perform or code switch or um, pick a side is just mm-hmm. praise the Lord for that, man. We, we mm-hmm. didn't come in and thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't have to say that, that that was the case, um, you know, and I think all of us who are, are non-majority folks are trying to find our way. Mm-hmm. There's just, there isn't a way, there isn't a clear path for us. We're, we're either trying to squeeze in on somebody else's path, mm-hmm. or we're like blazing a path and, it, and like there's nobody in front of us and nobody behind us. And it feels like you're doing it all by yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful too, that you could be in a room with a lot of people who aren't biracial, but still feel a lot of ways the same way you do. Mm-hmm just because of their church experience in this denomination. So thank you, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Ian, you, uh, so let's, let's talk about your, your first entrance into the PCA. So you said your, was it your pastor in California who told you about youth pastor? Yeah. Your youth pastor. And how did, how did that, how did that transition go? Like, what was it like when you first entered? What was that? What yeah, exactly. What did you had you heard of PCA anything prior to? You had a lot going on. You had two different coasts. You went from one coast to the next coast. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You went from Dutch Reform to PCA, and you went from not very diverse to every language, every time <laughs> to New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I moved to Bedsty was my first name. Bedsty. Oh. And my dad was like, "You're going to Bedsty? Like, you're good. You're gonna die." <laughs> thanks, Dad. And I was like, "Oh, thanks, Dad." Now oh really changed. Um, <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's like a hundred, you know, high end clubs now in Bedsty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, students go now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was, you know. I, I was, you know, uh, at home sharing a bedroom with my siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I moved to New York City and I got, uh, I didn't even get my own room in an air. I rented out an Airbnb for the first semester. I didn't know where I was going to go if I was going to go back oh, home. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But my room that I paid, you know, $800 a month for or whatever. Right. Wasn't really even a room. It was, they had put up like some archways in the corner of the living room. <laughs> No, and put a put a put a pole no. curtains on it. Wow! And that was my bedroom for how much? <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. You pay what? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I did that for for three plus months, and it was awesome. And <laughs> uh, the church that I googled, the, the the Redeemer had a bunch of different campuses at the time. So the Redeemer West Side was the one that showed up on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that there were other redeemers. I didn't want to chance it. This looked the most official. It was their only building at the time and that they owned. Mm-hmm. And so I took the hour and a half subway ride 
mm. from my bedsty, you know, apartment. And the, you know, there's a huge snowstorm that you know that weekend. Mm-mm. So I trudged in the snow. Never really had lived in the city where it really snowed. And so I was, was going to say that mm. was the whole thing in and of itself. That was crazy. No, right? <laughs> and I let's see. It was that Sunday. Took you know two trains. Get to the Upper West Side, and. I was late because of the snow. I had slipped or something on the ice. Oh man. Rushing into the into the service. It was packed. They had ushers. They seated me in the front row. And they <laughs> sat down and looked up. And Tim Keller was walking on the stage to give us. And I was like, okay. So did you know him at this point? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. I knew who he was. I, I you know, listened to his sermons, mm-hmm. you know, read his books. And I was just like, all right, all right, God, this is uh, this, <laughs> is, this is something. Mm-mm. And at that, and it, it, it was at the time when he had, he was both so popular and Redeemer was so big that they essentially had local pastors at the different Redeemer right. sites and he rotated through and no, he, you know, no one knew because, you know, then everyone tried to go to, you know, yeah. they wouldn't try to go to the church. They tried to hear him speak. All right. right. And so this was like right at the beginning of that, where he's like, no, I'm not going to tell anyone where I'm going to go. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go to different places. Gotcha. And it just so happened that the first time I sat down in a church service. Wow. Sermon. Look at that. That's yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was like, really like, oh, wow. Like this is a church with other, more than a hundred people, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. nationalities. <laughs> and so for me, it was awesome. I yeah. couldn't, I, I just ate it all up. You, it was just, just, just joy. You just were good. Yeah. Just running with it yeah Mm -hmm. that's cool hey Ian were you there with Omari Hill I think I had just missed him okay yeah yeah I know he was there for a little bit Mm -hmm. and he's a native New Yorker too so I know everyone keep uh, there's at least like wise from here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um and I think there's a few other people I'm like man all these people I just missed yeah yeah ships in the night Mm-hmm. So what was note some of the differences between the church back in California and when you first started going to a PCA church in New York? What are some was it the worship? Was it I don't know, the preaching style? Note some of those differences. Mm-hmm. I think probably one of the starkest differences was the structure. Because mm-hmm. back home it was, you know, <clears throat> good songs, but it was song, 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 song sermon didn't really know what was going on a few songs then it was over mm-hmm. and so i you know for some people that's great and i think that's really cool mm-hmm. for me the fact that at redeemer the liturgy of yeah. like yeah. prayers of and we're going to all pray together at the same mm-hmm. time of oh, confessing wow. sin of mm-hmm. uh you know Prayers of adoration, of thanksgiving, yeah. and the way that that molds and forms you just in that hour and a half or yeah. less in a service, I think was and still is a very powerful for me, mm-hmm. um, and forces me to engage with the worship service. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, in, in addition to singing, and so, and it doesn't always, you know, give me flashes of inspiration and. Mm spiritual change but you're always think, on the mountaintop that's right not always but every so often mm-hmm. uh and I, and I think it's even in that mundaneness of when it doesn't that right. you're still doing it absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely i think was a was just really striking to me that structure 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's probably some psychological stuff of lack of structure at home and structure now mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where God met me. Mm. Um, and so I was really, really grateful for that. Amen. Amen. That. That's good stuff. So you're in seminary at RTS New York. That's right. And are you doing an MDiv? Well, technically, no. But it's <laughs> in New York, the way that the licensing is, is they have to do a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies. Math. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Tim Keller started this organization called City to City. Yeah, yeah. And they handle the, like, the pastoral side of the degree. So that way when you, oh. it's the same content. It's the same thing. But it's technically two separate things. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Your Presbytery accepts that as an MDiv equivalent. Okay. Uh, I didn't uh, know that's what city to city did. Yeah. So again, you still have, and what it's what's really cool is, again, you get the same content mm-hmm. um, and the same types of classes and all that kind of stuff. But I think because of Redeemer City to City, you get so many different pastors around New York City. Sure. I'm going to teach these things, and even in my seminary at RTS. You have, you know, uh, Koreans, uh, Latinos from the Bronx, mm-hmm. African-Americans from Harlem. You have, mm-hmm. you know, white guys from California for, who work. One of my classmates works for crew mm-hmm. and he's going there. And so you have mm-hmm. this. Is, I never thought that in a reformed seminary, I'd be in one of the most diverse class experience, probably mm-hmm. the most diverse class mm-hmm. experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and not just not just in age, but in different styles. You have moms there who are who are who are studying you yep. know, Hebrew. Not out for the mothers. right? And like, you know, because I, I could have chosen to leave New York City for a few years and go to Gordon Conwell or mm-hmm. you know some other seminary outside the city, but I I can't I can't imagine learning these going through these classes right. and not face to face with ministry every single day. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And those different cultural contexts give you a, 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 a much more vivid, mm-hmm. um, much more in-depth view of scripture. Yep. Yeah. You know, you got one particular perspective because everybody in there is from one, you know, one type of culture, then, you know, you apply scripture one way and you miss a lot because you just pushed it through your worldview, your, your experience. And you get in there with folks from all over the world, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, ministering to all kinds of, of folks across the planet. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, you go from, um, I'm cooking today. So you go from just salt <laughs> Mm-hmm. So now you got some garlic powder, some onion. Come powder, on, garlic powder. Cayenne <laughs> and some smoked paprika. <laughs> <laughs> some hot sauce. You know, <laughs> like, okay. Now you got some flavor. It was it was good before, but now it tastes like how it's supposed to taste. It's how it's supposed to taste. That's right. That's so true. how has seminary been for you so far? And um and also, what what do you want to what do you want to do when you're yeah, when you graduate? What what's your end goal? Oh man, that's awesome! Uh, I just I I love dreaming. I'm not in the Bonhoff. Bonhoeffer says he hates dreamers, but I don't think he, that's what he's talking about. But I love dreaming about <laughs> such a seminary. <laughs> that's okay. uh, I love 
um, your first question about, you know, what seminary like. And like I said, I think the fact that you have my classmates are, you know, uh, some of them are Pentecostals. Some of them have, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. some people, sometimes people, for some of the classes, people travel in from all over the country to come take mm-hmm. some classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, you have these professors who are doing, you know, some of, some of them are, in New York city, a lot of them are from DC and other areas. And so I think I love the, the, all the different types of diversity that are coming in the uniting around the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, just a beautiful experience. Yeah. And I think I just, I mean, I think I love my professors and they tie everything to Jesus and to ministry, mm-hmm. even in Hebrew class, I'm learning about what, it, like, why does it matter that we not even just get this right, but wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most likely none of us are going to still, you know, be fluent in Hebrew, <laughs> but we are able to get these tools to engage in these debates so we can be wise with the ways that God has given us these responsibilities as leaders in the church. Yeah. And so, you know what, I can, I can sit down with, with an atheist and say, Hey, let's, let's, I don't know this, but let's look through it together. Mm-hmm. And I can go through the language stuff and I can show them how it gets there. And I can show them all these intricacies, but also the unification that how God brings it all together. So I love that. Um, I love the way I'm pastored in my classes, but I, and I think looking forward, um, I mean, I was, you know, so inspired by um, the black church seminar talking about the need to be intentional with in with space with people in spaces with cultures that can be so fragile not in the sense of the people mm-hmm. but in a dominant culture how quickly it can be squashed mm-hmm. that space um to grow and uh to quote dr abe cho um, we were having a conversation one time dr. Abe cho. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna throw that in there <laughs> i know he's listening i love um, it but uh, he, so now he works for Redeemer City to City. Um, he also does, still does assistant pastor work at Redeemer East Harlem. Okay. But at City to City, a lot of what his job is, is to cultivate these non-dominant culture spaces in evangelicalism across the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the analogies he used with me was when you are trying to start a fire, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful. It's a place, you know, you want to cultivate this life, but you have to get the little twigs in there. You know, you have to make sure right. the kindling is right. And you have to slowly grow it in order for it to be strong enough to with, you know, withstand all these different things. Mm-hmm. I was at a, uh, uh, like one of our church's family retreat where all the kids go out to, you know, someplace two hours away. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> one of my coworkers, he's great with kids. And so he was building this fire, helping, having the kids help him build this fire in this fire pit. And of course you have the kids who come along who think that they're helping and they throw a wet log on top of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's always those. And they think, Oh, I gave you wood. What? Isn't this awesome? That yeah. Fire. Like here. it's a fire. Fire needs wood. Oh, isn't right. Wood? <laughs> and when we think about creating these safe spaces uh, for African-Americans, for non-dominant cultures in evangelical reform PCA spaces, mm-hmm. I don't think, at least I didn't for sure think of it as intentionality mm-hmm. and how easy it is to snuff that out. Yeah. That's good. That's good because yep. how often have we been in space with people like, Oh my gosh, black people, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Right? 
And in those efforts, they throw a big log of wood onto the, onto yes, the a wet log. Yep. And so I think I really love, you know, where I am at Redeemer East side. And I see myself here for a few years getting ordained here. Um, but you know, I would love to be a part of wherever God calls me to plant a ministry, a church here in West Harlem, where my wife and I live. Mm. And, you know, and I'm fine with it being five, 10 years down the road. I'm fine with being patient. Um, I'm fine with God forming me and, you know, making me more wise in my own way. I wrestle with my own racial identity, the way I wrestle with, you know, my own blackness. And if he, if he needs to prepare me, you know, 15 more years before I'm ready for that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, will, will West Harlem need a multi-ethnic church or a black church? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I need mm-hmm. him to tell me that. Uh, maybe, maybe he wants me to stay at Redeemer East Side and stay in West Harlem for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I'm really, I think I'm starting to kind of, uh, I feel like I'm learning a new language when it comes to this sort of thing of um, min- what does ministry actually look like in a city to where it's not just, well, you know, there's no PCA church here. So I guess we got to plant one mm-hmm. to, Oh no, there is a, there are generations of people who don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that this is the best articulation of it. Mm-hmm. How can I, in a safe way, deliver this message of the gospel? I think in a previous podcast, Charles McKnight talked about, without this cultural baggage that comes mm-hmm. along with mm-hmm. formedness. Cause I think you guys know, like if <laughs> the black experience is a, one of the best, if not the best modern experiences of putting our only hope in a good God while seeing the unbelievable evil that we face every day. My Lord. And uh, that just gives me goosebumps thinking, thinking about people in this neighborhood Mm-hmm. who just feel the weight of evil on them every day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they do not connect rescue from that mm-hmm. Jesus breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. And so whatever way God sees fit to use me and my family and my community to do that, um, I have to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe it is just, you know, being good neighbors and mm-hmm. people say, wait, you're a Christian and you like me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. 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 Especially for, you know, the, the, especially for the, the queer community that is very big in this neighborhood. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, wait a second. Like you're a, like a black Christian with a white wife from Minnesota with these biracial right. kids. And you want to have like dinner with me. <laughs> right. You want, like you're not scared of me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you're okay with just talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, and I think, man, if you could have a church that does that, mm. that just seems so beautiful. Where people can say, kind of like you know how I felt at the black church seminar, like, okay, I can just take this off now. Right, mm-hmm. I, can just, I can just be my, I, I can be myself, not in perfection and complete affirmation, but with my faults. Right, right, right. With mm-hmm. the ways that I feel uncomfortable or I don't have things figured out, I can mm-hmm. just be here because I know that Jesus that Jesus has me. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm excited about of being able to, you know, after I think being equipped in seminary with that mindset in the place where I want to do ministry and, you know, however many years it takes, um, 
that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. So whether it's, you mm-hmm. know, pastor, um, lead pastor, whatever it is, that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. Ooh, awesome. I like that. That's thank you for that, Ian. That's just, yeah, that's super encouraging in a lot of ways. And I just love like how, like just how big of a learner you are and intentional that you've been. And um, just you sharing now, just how you're, you're willing to just be faithful and, and wait on the Lord and just be patient and see what's next for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's, that's super encouraging. And I think it's just very, um, it's wise, you know, I just, <laughs> it's very wise. And yeah. So appreciate you sharing that. And so you, you are married and you're married to a, a white wife in Minnesota. Um, was she, was she in the PCA already? How did you guys connect? How did you all meet? And if she wasn't in the PCA, what, what, um, what has it been like for her? Well, she was raised Lutheran. Okay. Uh, and oh, so, wow. yeah, so I consider that probably one of the biggest accomplishments of my life of getting That's over to the accomplishment. Significant. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't say I've ever heard of that type of, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and so her parents are very disappointed. Um, uh, but I think, I you bet. know, they, they like me. So I think that that gives me some brownie. Okay. Points. That's um, good. That's I'm good. Like yeah. Um, but yeah, so she was raised Lutheran, Lutheran school, Lutheran church, all that kind of stuff. Um, but she had like, because she went to college here also, she went to the King's college in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the Christian community in a lot of ways is very tight. Um, and a lot of people know, you know, it's like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but seven mm-hmm. degrees of Christianity. <laughs> and so she had already been in the redeemer space. And so oh. we had met kind of where she had been at Redeemer for a few years. Mm. And so because we went to the same college and the same church, it was kind of just a matter of time. Oh, I see. Paths. But I think, you know, when we were dating, engaged and married, it was, oh, oh, this is what commitment to, to this denomination looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not until recently at the time of this recording, she just took her first membership class uh, yesterday. Oh, wow. And... I think that, you know, seeing the beauty of infant baptism, what it means that, you know, the public proclamation of this being about God's promise to us, Mm -hmm. I think that it was seeing those ways that kind of I found precious in the theology and the the sweetness behind this theology and like Mm -hmm. how it's written in scripture. Mm. And so I think seeing it play out in actual practical familial and community sense, I think was big for her. Um, and, you know, she, you know, she joins PCA, she's doing it cause she's with me too. So that's mm-hmm. for her, I think in her eyes, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, kind of just setting an example of this is like, I, I see, like, I see the benefit. I see what's good here. I see why, I'm not just, oh, all my friends go here. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the biggest things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what you grew up in a family with interracial and inter, your, your, your mom being white and your dad being black. And then, mm-hmm. and then, so you are biracial and you are married to a white woman. How has, um, how has that kind of shaped you do you think and also what is it what is it like being in an interracial marriage in the pca 
Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. Mm. Well, good question. <laughs> it was I think it was really complicated because I was figuring this out while we were dating. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, I think, you know, God's calling us to be married. And, you know, that's what our community was telling us, you know, not like, oh, you guys have to get married. But yeah, I think this is where God's pushing you to. And I was figuring all this out at the same time. So mm-hmm. it was a lot, of, a lot of learning for me. And I think it forces, it, like it really forces us to inherently appreciate diversity. Mm-hmm. Besides just men and women, but also black and white. And me having kind of this internal conflict, I would say, forces her and I to talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. why does, why is it so hard when, you know, I have these two things that seem like they're fighting against each other, but I can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. And because I'm wrestling with that, we get to have these conversations. Okay. And I think because we get to have those conversations, we see in a denomination like the PCA and the PCA specifically, we have to be articulate in those in these issues. Mm, yeah. And how, like, why is this, you know, not just an issue we care about, not just an issue we're passionate about, which is, I'm sure there are people out there who feel like, you know, they've gotten the, oh, I'm so glad you're passionate about this stuff. And it's like, oh, you mean just inherent things from the Bible? <laughs> and yeah. And I think, you know, we have to be able to do that. And so, and now we're going to have a son and he's going to be biracial and, you know, he could, he could get her skin. He could get my skin. He could be darker than me. And, you know, we don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but we have to be able to articulate that, that to him. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it mean that, you know, your mom is beautiful and has blue eyes and really fair skin. And she has mm-hmm. to jump in a vat of sunscreen when she mm-hmm. outside. <laughs> and your dad barely knows what sunscreen is. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's got to use one of the sponges to, you know, make sure his hair is crazy. <laughs> Uh, like it, it forces him to have to just, you know, look at these people who do things so differently, uh, every day mm-hmm. and, and to go to a church where, you know, we have, you know, 40% of our church is white, 41% of our church is Asian, you know, and uh, I think we have a little more than there's some different demographic report that's public information out there. So 2% African-American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in a couple of years ago. And I think, you know, we've been blessed to have that change a bit over the last couple of years, but um, yeah, he has to have the conversation because his household, his, my son's household is, you know, a whole mix of a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. And I think the big fault for me growing up was that that was never talked about. Really? Mm. There was, you know, there were, yeah, there were comments here and there about, you know, you know, my dad talked about how he got t- chased on the street with baseball bats you know, mm-hmm. when he was a kid in Brooklyn. Um, but it wasn't a, hey, like, let's talk about, you know, why is, you know, my dad took a 23 in me a few years ago. And, you know, you see all these different parts of Africa mm-hmm. you know, on the West Coast that he's from. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and all likelihood didn't get here, you know, it wasn't a voluntary vacation mm-hmm. they got over here. Well, um, yeah, we actually at GA, we went to the, a lot of the, uh, EJI yeah. Uh, yeah. Initiative, museums mm-hmm. and memorials and the 16th street Baptist church. And, mm-hmm. um, when you go to the equal just initiative, the, well, the memorial itself where you have, you know, the, 
so much space dedicated to the death and violence done upon black bodies mm-hmm. alone is uh, breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it makes me think about how, how do we do ministry mm-hmm. to talk about this as our history. When you go to the museum that's nearby, you literally walk through the history and just some of the most beautiful artwork to depict this. And you just see what there was one image where you saw uh, a graphic that depicted showing black dots go from Africa to the Americas Mm -hmm. and just the time lapse of, you know, first it was one, then it was five. And then Mm -hmm. every year just have, you know, hundreds of these little black dots swarming from Africa. Mm -hmm. It's just like just a pestilence just going into America. Right of these black bodies forced to go over. Mm-hmm. That's our history. Yep. That's our family history. And I think the fact that that wasn't articulated, I think was a real harm in just our family dynamics. Mm. Um, and the inability for, I think my parents to be able to talk about that, that that wasn't something they talked about a lot. And we just heard them argue about it upstairs, you know, mm. uh, Tell us, really? oh, yeah, it's fine. Gosh. So, yeah, so I'm, you know, kind of figuring it out in real time on this podcast, verbally processing. Yeah, oh, wow. Oh, 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 so we're going to have to give you a follow-up call tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> we'll check in uh, on you tomorrow, Ian. Thank you, thank you. So, yeah, yeah. Mm, that's especially hard, I think, you know, it's already, a marriage in itself is, is just, I used to say, all the time marriage is a miracle like mm-hmm. it just shouldn't work it ain't supposed to work <laughs> and then you take uh two different cultures and put them together and that's got a whole heap of challenges right mm-hmm. and then on top of that when when that's your parentage and nobody talks about it mm-hmm. like it's like you're literally living your whole life with this no pun intended, white elephant in the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. And nobody's really saying, hey, this is what's going on here. And here's how it's affected me or son and daughters. How has this affected you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what what does this make you think? And 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 how are you wrestling with that? I had a cousin um, who married interracially and um, her her husband's Puerto Rican. Mm. a fair-skinned Puerto Rican and um you know they had a son and and one of their sons was like yeah I'm I'm not black or Puerto Rican and and they were like well honey (laughs) (laughs) that's what went into the pot so (laughs) yeah I mean it's one thing to have to feel like you got to choose something usually it's the folk you came from one or the other but no he was he decided he was something else Mm -hmm, but -hmm. like you know young people need to have a place to process that and just to hear you say you know that that really wasn't talked about had to you know as a grown man now you're wrestling with a lot of this stuff it's just Mm -hmm. man super tough stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and i you know my mom's listening I love her very much. And I think yeah, she, yeah. she did a lot, especially in, you know, I think, you know, she was dealt so many bad raps with, you know, my dad mm-hmm. um, doing, I think a lot of willful desertion. Mm. And I think she, she worked really, really hard. And I, you know, 
you know, it's sometimes sad to think about, you know, what if, what if he, you know, looked to Jesus and was able to use his, the, I think the, the, the beautiful gift of his blackness and even right. his trauma to, to, to shepherd us through and talk to my mom about that. And mm-hmm. I think that would have brought them a lot closer. And right. I think now on this side of things, you know, growing up again, you know, you're black, you can do whatever you want and it's all excusable. Mm-hmm. I think now to this point of saying, how has God gifted you right. and how he made you right? and how do you be faithful in that? Yeah. Um, because I think I could, you know, if I didn't have Jesus, if I, I think it wasn't at Redeemer, if I wasn't, you know, in church, I think I probably could have gone the other way of saying, you know, kind of the early Malcolm X days route of hating white people. Yeah. Right. And right, right. believing mm-hmm. that, you know, in their whiteness, there is like inherent sin in that. Right. And I think there's, you know, there still is like that struggle, right. Of, you know, seeing so much oppression and seeing just these constant patterns over and over and over again. Um, but I think it really keeps me humble too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, loving my, my family, uh, my wife, and seeing her as a gift and her, you know, her Minnesotaness as a, her Swiss and Norwegian heritage as a gift that we get to tell our kids about and talk to mm-hmm. others about right. um, is a gift to me so that I don't lose sight of uh, that. It's really all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the hope is in Jesus. And we have to, or, uh, you know, we're going to lose ourselves. I think Carl Ellis's book, Dr. Carl Ellis, uh, free at last question mark. A lot of, yeah. a lot of these question marks to this. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, but he's very adamant about that. That was the first book I read in seminary, by the way. Wow. Oh, okay. And shout out to Dr. Ellis. But when I saw when I saw him at GA, I was like, you know, shaking in my boots. And I live in New York. Uh, today at Central Park, I saw one of the cast members from Succession. I don't know if you watched that. Really, show. really, really. But he was just like walking around after a jog. And, you know, I was on a work call. So I was, yeah, I was just walking on by. You know, I see celebrities all okay. the time. Mm-hmm, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I saw Dr. Ellis. Starstruck. When I, oh, when <laughs> I saw Dr. Christina Edmondson. Oh, my God. Right, I, right? I couldn't I couldn't talk to her. <laughs> I couldn't. I talked to I talked to her husband. I was like, "Hey, my ear, hey, hey, my ear." I, like, oh, I can't talk, and you know, she left. And I was like, "Oh well, I guess never see her ever again." But oh, you uh, never, you never met her. No, I never met her before. Okay, she had, oh, she had been to New York a few times, and mm-hmm. um, but I was like, that's probably the most starstruck I've been because I was like. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Look at, that. Look at that. That's so fun. And they're both so approachable. They just, yeah. so just yeah. so like, did you get to, to talk to um, Dr. Ellis? I did. I yeah. did. I it was, uh, it was so sweet to see, to see him and just to see all, like I was talking to Charles Lewis, the <laughs> second. Yeah. And uh, well, his, his father's Lance, so he's oh, that's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, he has he has it, his son. I get all his I, son is the second, so you were talking to the baby, or because you saw me talking to the baby, I was <laughs> talking to him, uh, but I was talking to Charles, and just like we have like so much punch in our mm-hmm. like, like black excellence doesn't begin to describe it on like the amount of just wise, intelligent, right, leading voices in this, you know, at, at the, the, the mix and mingle. 
the amount of people there who have, you know, influenced so many across decades mm-hmm. in a arguably hostile space mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah. And I have them sitting, you know, so many of those people at, at you know, in that room, they're sitting on my, my bookshelf. Mm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it like that. Ian. Along with like Keller and Bonhoeff, like all these oh. leaders. So um, I don't know. I'm just very privileged to be able to literally break bread with some of the, just the best think theological and mm-hmm. pastoral voices mm-hmm. out there, period, mm-hmm. let alone in our denomination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, sir. That's good. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's well put. I take that for granted, but but mm-hmm. yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just sit down and eat a eat a um. What did we have? The uh, well, look. The only thing that I can remember was the thing that I ate like ten of, and it was those shrimp bacon. <laughs> so yeah. In sitting around talking to these theologians, eating shrimp bacon hot. rolls. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. But, you know, yeah. I'm so glad you got to come. Same. Experience that and have gotten connected with AAM. And, mm-hmm. you know, as much as you feel like and have expressed AAM being a blessing to you, I just feel like, you know, that that's a mutual sentiment. And mm-hmm. we're all the better for knowing you and having yep. you in the fold um, also, and excited to see what God is going to do with you and this job title, mm-hmm. this justice, justice and neighborhood managing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and see how that blesses the city and creates a model, God willing, um, a duplicatable model for other uh, churches in the PCA and outside the PCA and. See you become a dad in a couple of months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wrestle again with all that stuff. Buck up, man, because your children and your marriage show you more about yourself than anything else. Anything else, I tell and, you. And uh, it's supposed to, but that junk be hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and it's fun when they can't talk and then they start talking and doing stuff you do. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> wait 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 <laughs> now you gotta repent to people and confessing to little folks and then they turn into big folks and then they talk about you ruined us because you told us this and didn't tell us that and i'm like bruh chill out with that um yeah uh, okay. let the journey begin let the a beautiful begin. hard thing but yes welcome mm-hmm. to that i pray things go well with the delivery of your little one Mm, you. you have mm-hmm. a name for him that you're allowed to say on air hmm. well i haven't told my mother yet so uh, well you better wait you better wait <laughs> well, we are not trying to make your mama mad. that is exact look keep it to yourself please brother keep it to yourself <laughs> i think we will enjoy it but it's a secret until it's on the birth okay gotcha okay, we'll have well, to- update on the show notes or something right talk about <laughs> the name <laughs> we know it now and before before we we wrap this thing up how can how can people who are listening uh, keep up with you if they want to or the work that you're doing or anything that you feel like you might want to share related to what you're doing now well you know uh i've been trying to cut off from social media as much as i can except for of course following between the few and Instagram. yeah <laughs> uh but i think um, you know, you can follow me on Instagram. It'd be great at Ian Stuff. 
iain.sta. But really, honestly, what's great about New York is so many people pass through. So many people have a reason for coming. So mm-hmm. honestly, if you just want to send me an email, iain.coston at redeemer.com. That's my work email. Okay. Shoot me an email. I'd love to um, connect with you. And I think one of the great things about AAM is the, the unification of the universal church in this particular way. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, know I just am excited for people to, to be talking to each other more. Yeah. I think utilizing the way of just encouraging each other in their ministry to know that you are not alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you saw, you know, uh, the great white plumber, you know, just, you know, stem from his position at uh, AM right. and to see how it went from, what was it? Fifth, 15 to 63 or something like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And the, and it's crazy because, that happened with so much less support than I have right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think to, to take advantage of the critical mass that God has gifted us, we can't waste that. Yeah. And so I think if there's any brothers or sisters who want to connect here and um, there's some beautiful, you know, people here in New York city. And so, you know, I mean, if you want to move here, I'm not going to stop you. Um <laughs> But, you know, just to pass through and just talk about, talk about life. And that's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be more focused on that too. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. about where people are at. Cause that's what people we're, need. We're going to take you up on it, Ian. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I've been wanting to get up to New York anyways, you know, being in DC, I'm not that far away. No, you're so right. I've been, I, know. You know, I need to get my, my husband and I up there and maybe you and Sophia can, you know, take that's us out right. or something. Show us, yeah. show us where the. The, the hot spots. There it is. <laughs> Y'all can babysit that baby. Or I'll come and I'll babysit. You keep the baby. Yeah. Y'all, y'all yes. can go out. Yes. There we go. I love <laughs> me. Yeah. Great. Great. Ian, well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It truly was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Truly was a delight getting to know you. You're doing some some really great things uh, in, in New York. And, uh, you know, my personal prayer is that God will um, show favor to you. And we see lots and lots of increase in that area. Know that AAM is here. You know, you know this already, but if, if you, if you need us, reach out to us. Uh, That goes for the listeners too. If you, if you, Mm -hmm. if you need, if you feel like AAM can be a help to you, let us know. We want to hear from you. (laughs) But um, yes, definitely encouraged by the work that you're doing. All you said, all the right words, biblical justice mercy, <laughs> loving thy neighbor, you know, <laughs> all that, all that good stuff. So um, thank you again for, for, yeah, yeah. For chatting with us tonight. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Kelly. Keep rocking that shirt, man. I know. right? <laughs> we need to look, if you're going to keep wearing it, we're going to have to send you another one. Cause you're going to wear it out. So That's right. have- <laughs> I need it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get some more swag in your hands. That's right. Yes. And thank you to our listeners for listening to listening to us week after week, mm. even in the midst of our breaks. And hey, sorry, we don't have an episode this week for you. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Between the Pew is brought to you by African-American Ministries. To follow AAM, be sure to visit our website at aampca.org and follow us on social media at aampca. See y'all next time. <laughs>